welcome into ATLK. We're back with another episode. Took a week off, you know, had a little bye week for the Falcons, so figured I'd take my bye week along with them after a pretty lengthy episode talking about the NLCS. And man, do we have a lot to talk about since that episode dropped. So we'll dive right into the Braves. The Atlanta Braves travel to Milwaukee, drop game one, come back, win game two with Max Fried on the mound, being dominant as ever. They come back home, take control of the series, and end up, you know, with a gentleman sweep, take care of the Milwaukee Brewers. So you had a lot of clutch performances, especially from the bullpen. Bullpen, bullpen played pretty much perfectly. I don't think they allowed to run the entire NLCS. They did exactly what you could ask from them. I mean, really, I think it was Tyler Matzik, Luke Jackson, and Will Smith that came in and did their duties. And so the Braves move on to the NLCS. And then on the other side, you have your Giants pushing the Dodgers to a Game 5. Or should I say the Dodgers pushing the Giants to Game 5. They managed to pull out the win there and find themselves in a rematch now with the Atlanta Braves. So this series has been so much fun, so much pain and misery and agony from an Atlanta sports fan perspective, but that's okay because the Braves have been on the good end of a lot of fortunate breaks here and there. You know, specifically, you know, the Dodgers making decisions in game two and, you know, they have the MVP in Austin Riley. I think that's pretty clear to say. So uh, the Braves find themselves up 2-0 in the NLCS, and they are two wins away from the World Series. Hopefully, hopefully they beat the team that knocked them off last year after being up 3-1. to So I'm uh, here. I'll, I'll go over those games real quick. You know, in the first game, you know, not a whole lot of – that's the thing about the Braves' offense is they have not done a whole lot of hitting. It's been a lot of, you know, respond. They have had to respond to the basically the Dodgers doing the Dodgers things, you know. They've had to come back in each of their games, and, you know, they have. I mean, as simple as that. So, game one, you know, you had – it came down. It was 2-2. It came down to the last at-bat there. Austin Riley comes up. After Ozzy Albies manages to get a bloop single, bloop, Ozzy then steals second base in a huge play there. After you know them trying to pick him off twice, he manages to get a great jump, and Austin Riley manages to throw one there into left field, and that was all she wrote. Austin Riley comes up big again as he has so many times this season, and. It was it was a zoo there in Atlanta, you know, Truist Park. So flash forward to game two, and Ian Anderson comes out on the bump, and first couple at bat, first two at bats, the Braves go down two nothing, and you know there's a little bit of worry. There's a little like, oh, here we are, same old Braves that are gonna allow a forty hundred home runs and runs in the first inning and then play themselves out of a game at home. But Ian Anderson finds his little groove, gets out of, of some traffic there, and manages to push himself through three innings. And, I mean, 
for a guy who's been nearly flawless through his first couple postseason starts, there it was due to happen that he would kind of, and he hasn't been his you know, most sharp self this season as a whole, but you know, it was due to happen. I mean, it's good thing that it happened at home other than on the road. So, you know, you'll take something like that. And you know, like I said, the Braves go down to nothing, you know, after a couple rough innings, couple like, Braves have this thing where they like to swing at every first pitch ever. So they a couple quick innings run by, and Max Scherzer is kind of cruising. And they, he gets into a little bit of a jam here and there because the Braves like the Braves do what they should, work the count, get deep into these counts with Max Scherzer, who just pitched on short rest against the Giants. And they managed to, you know, they managed to bridge the gap, and that's when Jocktober... Keeps chugging along. Jocktober, aka Jock Peterson, hits a bomb of a home run. That was a it was a missile to left field from him. Like it was, he got out of the ballpark in a hurry there. Like no doubt about it. It was a no doubter. So then, game keeps moving along. They get Scherzer out in like the fifth inning. Like or it was like, I think he pitched. Four and a quarter, or four and a third, I mean. So Max Scherzer's out of the game. We're down bullpens on each side. And this is where the Braves run back into some trouble with Luke Jackson um, and Tyler Matzik, kind of. So Matzik's in there, and I don't know why they took Matzik out, because he was fine. He was doing just okay, but, I mean, they bring in Luke Jackson, and he immediately kind of gets himself into some trouble. And... Um, they also subbed in Guillermo Heredia for center field for Adam Duvall. Kind of a defensive play there, but it is what it is. So they do that, and immediately on I think you know first pit, first couple pitches, Luke Jackson they hit it. Guillermo misplays it. He doesn't commit to the ball, and it slides past him. Thank goodness Jock Peterson was there. Jock Peterson probably saves a run, and. You know, the Braves, it's a two-run double. They managed to get out of it, so the score is now 4-2, and we're moving along. Then we get to the eighth inning, and the top of the order, outside of Freddie Freeman, I would say probably saved this game. You have to give like credit to uh, a couple players like Travis Darno in the ninth inning, but guys at the beginning of the order really saved the Braves here. So Eddie Rosario, he's the hero game too, where he had Austin Riley before. Rosario comes in and does terrific work. So he gets a single and gets on base. Uh, plays on a couple of aggressive little plays here, but manages to get by and you know scores a run out off of an Ozzie Albee single. Not a deep single either. It's a... Not very far, but he manages to do it. So Rosario gets a run on the board. And then Austin Riley. <laughs> if he didn't, if, you know, if they managed to like, take the lead on this, it would have been back-to-back Austin Riley games that we would have been talking about for years. But Austin Riley does hit an absolute, a bomb of a double over Mookie Betts' head, drives in the game-tying run with Ozzie Albies. And we're tied. It's a tied game again. Bottom of the eighth. 
where things were looking like oh, like Braves couldn't couldn't manage to you know protect home field. They come back and they tie it up. Fantastic work, absolutely fantastic work from those three guys I mentioned there: Eddie and Ozzy and Austin. And so then we get to the eight, ninth inning, and a couple plays here that were very like questionable. You had Travis Darno also fails to mention in the ninth inning here. Both teams are out uh, of their bench players. The Dodgers are about out of bullpen arms. Braves only had long relievers left. So we were getting into some weird territory. So the Braves needed to walk it off like they did. And so Travis Darno singles. They put in the pinch runner. Dansby Swanson decides to bunt here. And it's against Bruzdar Gratterall, who throws 100-plus. Dansby decided, or decision is Dansby bunts here. Um, okay. What? Okay. They they get the out at second anyway. So, I mean, Dansby just kind of bunts for no reason, but he gets on first base. Okay. What? Whatever. Uh, Guillermo Aredia manages to move the runner over. That works out fine. That works out pretty well, you know. Second guy on second. And then Eddie Rosario comes up. And hits a sing- or hits a single that should have probably been a routine play for Corey Seager. But it was a missile. It hits off his glove, bounces into the center field, Dansby comes around, and the Braves win. And walk-off fashion in back-to-back games. If you don't love that, then I don't know what to tell you. It was it was postseason baseball in its peak. It was fantastic to watch. It was a joy. To be on the winning side of that and not the losing side, which seems very uncharacteristic for Atlanta sports, but we did it. We made it on that side, on the fun side. So that was, so that's how the Braves, that's how we got here. That's all in all through the Brewer series and through this series. That's how we got here to a 2 0 lead. Um, I don't know if this will get out by the time game three starts or it'll be, it'll be around that time, but. Here on Tuesday, Charlie Morton faces um, Walker Bueller in a very, very decisive game three here. So, Braves could win the series here or let the Dodgers back in it. Hopefully, Charlie Morton's looked really good, but Walker Bueller's that guy. So, I think that there's a good chance that the Braves can win this game. I don't. I have no doubt that they can. I mean, they've proven they can beat the Dodgers here. Two in a row. I mean, it takes a perfect game, essentially, but they've done it. So, some guy, one guy you need to get going, Freddie Freeman. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Freddie Freeman has disappeared. It, he's on milk cartons everywhere. Where, I don't know where he is. He's swinging at so many bad pitches that he just – he has seven strikeouts out of his eight at-bats. It is, it is downright painful to watch him play right now. But he has to get it going. If the Braves want to really clinch this and put him away, he has to get going. And, I mean, if there's anyone to get out of a slump here real quick, it's Freddie Freeman. But need to see your MVP do MVP things outside of Austin Riley. So that's the schedule tonight. You know, hopefully they come in and win tomorrow. I don't – I guess it's going to be Husker, you know. We'll see. 
playing um, Urias, who also appeared in that game. He gave up the eighth inning runs uh, last game, too, but we'll see how he does and how he fares. If he manages to be okay off a short rest, too, because I don't, yeah, Dave Roberts, I don't know what Dave Roberts was thinking there. I really don't. Like, it doesn't make sense to throw your game four starter in there to try and relieve two innings, but he did it. So, thank you, Dave Roberts, for that. <laughs> really appreciate that. So, game three coming up here in a little couple hours here. Thought I'd try and get this one out before then. But, yeah, NLCS Braves. I'm sure next time we'll be talking, we'll know the fate probably of this team. Uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll, I can get, you know, Buddy from last week on back on. We'll see how schedules line up. So, yeah, that's Braves talk. So, we'll transition here to the number one team in the country. The Georgia Bulldogs getting a, I'd say, pretty massive win against Kentucky that came into Athens, that, you know, looking to upset the dogs. And so, you know, Georgia wasn't, since we last talked, Georgia wasn't number one. Georgia was number two, waiting there behind Alabama. And they fell. They fell to Texas A&M. And here we are. Here we are at number one in the country. Who would have thought? I mean, you knew this team had the potential. You knew that they had it all. Like they finally found the quarterback, although it seems like the quarterback is unhealthy or something is happening, but Oh, well, we have Stetson. The defense is, this is probably the best defense I've ever witnessed in college football history. Like I don't, I don't remember a defense being this dominant and threatening. Like, because college football is one of those where you have generational offenses and, they come out and show out, and defenses are kind of like, you know, they they when they happen they're cool, but you don't reckon like you don't notice them, and they're not like dominant and fun to watch. Watching this Georgia team play defense is making defense a lot of fun to watch. Like they're must see t- like must see TV. Jordan Davis is a monster. The guys on the edge sub and inner monsters. It's just it's an unbelievable feat that they're accomplishing here. Allowing, they have, I mean, they've allowed like <laughs> 46 points where Florida allowed 49 points on Saturday to LSU. I, I, I don't know. There's not much more to talk about with them. They're, and they're doing it with Stetson Bennett. Like JT Daniels makes this offense look so different and makes them so much more threatening. But right now, they're doing all this with Stetson Bennett, who. To his credit, manages the game fine, but he's not JT Daniels. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's rolling. They're rolling with a hot hand, and I think JT is legitimately hurt, and they're just they're letting him rest and heal to his full recovery. But you know, it's just something where it looks they're just they look really good. They look like the best team in college football by a wide margin. Even Alabama, who faltered against Texas A&M. I mean, they look better. They look better than them. They are the number one team in the country for good reason. There's no debate. Like, there really isn't. And so, you know, that's it's really, really great to see Georgia really play to their potential finally because, you know, they normally this Georgia team will look this good against a lot of teams and then they'll, you know, slip up and let South Carolina or Florida – hanging there with them 
but that's just not the case this year. They just are coming out and smacking teams in the mouth and taking charge, and they're doing their best to win games here. So they did that with Kentucky. I'll give Kentucky all the credit in the world. They played probably the best they could have against Georgia. You know, they they because the thing is, they come out and they look so dominant, and they get this lead, and then they run the ball forever. Where Kentucky kind of controlled the clock a little bit here and there, drove the field, played really well. They just couldn't finish on Georgia. And, I mean, not a lot of teams can, so it's okay. But an offense couldn't really get going that well, but they picked it up. So, yeah, defense played fantastic. Zamir White looked about as fast as he ever has on a breakaway run here. James Cook caught a touchdown. Brock Bowers continues his dominant freshman year. He's, he's lining up to be the freshman of the year in the SEC, which is hilarious coming from a tight end, but he does look that good. He looks that dominant out there. And so he's a favorite target of everyone. I mean, Stetson, Stetson's finally starting to find him the way JT did in his couple games, and, it, I mean, he's proving that he is a guy that needs the ball in his hands. He's a threat. So great win against Kentucky. They go into a bye week this week and play Florida the week after. So a little bit of rest here. And honestly, if I had to make a little prediction here on the show, I think JT Daniels will suit up against Florida and play. I think this is the right time to do it. I think because you lost to Florida last year with Stetson, unless you want to keep rolling the Stetson train, you know, like playing the hot hand, I guess. But I think this is the perfect opportunity coming off a week of rest. He's not played for the past couple weeks. You go out, beat the crap out of Florida. Because Florida Florida seemed like the threat in the SEC East for the considerable part of the year. And they have just kind of gone downhill. They just they've lost to Kentucky, LSU, who is firing Coach Orgeron. Like like it's just I don't know. It's a mess in Gainesville. They don't know the quarterback situation very well. They keep changing them in and out. I just don't see a world in where Florida is competitive, especially with this defense against their offense. Because, I mean, Florida's going to make their money on their offense, and they're not doing anything against this team on, on that side of the ball. So I would, if I had to make a prediction, I think JT will play in that game. I think he's coming back to start that game, unless they're just going to keep going with Stetson, and that's very possible. I just don't see it. I just don't see that being the year-long answer. I think you need to get JT some reps. That has to happen. He just He's far too valuable for the passing attack. The offensive line with call-outs. So, yeah, I think JT plays against Florida. We'll, we'll probably talk about more in that game next week. But So, transitioning, we're going to go to another transition here to the other football team here in Atlanta. The Atlanta Falcons, who sit at two and three, and they're not dead. <laughs> they just had their bye week, which is a little unfortunate, I guess. Bad luck because, I mean they they have to go now a lot of weeks without rest here, where a lot of teams kind of get their rest here in the middle. Falcons had an early bye after coming off the London game, where they beat the Jets. Pretty, I'd say easily, pretty handedly. I mean they were up. Big number there in the first half. The Jets made it a little bit of a game, but the statement of the week came from the Falcons when they took their last drive. Matt Ryan took his time. Arthur Smith called up great, great game plan for that last drive. 
They had a bomb to Kyle Pitts. They ran the ball, took some time off the clock, managed to score a touchdown to really seal that game and really put an emphasis on it and come back home with a win. So Falcons, I keep saying they're improving every week. And, you know, that sounds like a homerism. It sounds like something I would say if I was trying to convince myself that the Falcons can make the playoffs. But I truly mean it. I mean, I really think they're improving every week. I think Matt Ryan is looking better every week. I think he's I think he's playing his some of his best football he has in like the past two years. I think he's looking that good right now, not making mistakes. Cordo Patterson looks like an a I don't know what he is. He's a he's an absolute weapon, but I don't know how you classify what he is. So he's been fantastic. Kyle Pitts is Kyle Pitts breakout game happened on uh you know two Sundays ago. That was great to see with Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage out. I think the offensive line is playing much better. I mean, an issue we had was the offensive line being so piss poor. You know, they couldn't block anyone for Matt to have any time. They couldn't run the ball. They still aren't great running the ball. Don't get me wrong, but you see the imp- they're, they're going from horrible to not as bad. So I think they're getting better with continuity every year or every week. Um, so they they traveled to Miami this week, and if they don't win this game, that'll just kind of tell you what kind of year this is for the Falcons. It's going to be a bad year, continued bad year, because the Dolphins are a joke. The Dolphins are – Dolphins just let the Jaguars get their first win. Tua doesn't look like the guy there. They look like they want to kind of ship him for Deshaun Watson. They have no running game, no O-line. The defense is okay, but they're not. They can't win you a game, you know? So the Falcons will travel there to Miami, and I think they have a good chance of winning this game. I really do. I think especially if everyone plays. Uh, Right tackle Caleb McGeary just went on the COVID list. So Willie Beavers, backup right, right tackle. That's a real man, Willie Beavers. He comes in. He'll probably start if... McGarry isn't off the list, which there's a good chance it might happen. But, you know, I mean, you want to see Kyle Pitts get involved with Calvin Ridley on the field as well. Russell Gage hopefully will be back. You, Another thing, Hayden Hurst actually made an impact in the game. He had a fumble and a couple of bad plays, but he made an impact. He did. He scored a touchdown. Finally, you, for a team that you like, that has like, two tight ends that are very like starter level tight ends and a guy who came back from a, the Titans and Arthur Smith, where he used two tight ends a lot. Both guys need to be productive. Like they, they just simply do. You can't, you can't like not have them be productive where you had two tight ends before and you made them get paid elsewhere. And you know, you know what I'm saying? You can't do it. It has to be, you have to play to your strengths and Arthur Smith's strengths is using tight ends and motioning a lot. So I think that was great to see. So I think the defense now the defense is, uh, I don't know about the defense, man. The defense is the only spot where I have major question marks on. I don't think they can be, I don't think they're improving, but I don't think they're like not improving. You know, I think they're neutral. I think they're just, they're neutral right now. They're, they're learning the system. Young guys are playing somewhat sparingly due to injury. You know, it's very, it's a very strange defensive like, like identity they have. 
because because so many guys are getting hurt, so they have to plug and play so many guys that might not be ready for the system. But I mean, they all looked good on um, in London. You know, Richie Grant finally got some playing time. That was great to see. I think he proved that he is worthy of his second round picks status, and I think he should get more snaps moving forward because the safety play from the Jerron Harmon and Eric Harris before just they're not great. They're they're journeyman guys, and they play like it. So. Hopefully, young guys get more play, more playing time here. And like I said, they travel to Miami. I think a big key to this game is not letting Tua get comfortable, get Tua off off the spot, you know, make him make plays with his feet. Because, I mean, Tua is a guy where he gets hurt often. He has that that label on him now. That's just kind of the nature of how he is right now. And I I think their O-line is – this is an O-line where – a bad pass rush should have a field day. And <clears throat> Dean Pease, who likes to send blitz with all his linebackers, should be like, he should be licking his chops. Like, he should be looking really excited at this O line who has not played well. And he should be ready to really send some packages at them that makes Tua uncomfortable and make bad decisions. I think the key for the Falcons is they have to get a turnover. They don't do that enough. They get fumbles. They don't get any picks. They need to get some turnovers. They need to force Miami to, you know, play into their hands. They they need to slow down Jalen Waddle, who's looked really solid. I think AJ Terrell will get an interception. I think the defense will look okay, not perfect. There will be some big plays, I'm sure. But I think forcing turnover will be a big talking point this week for the Falcons. I think it's a big key to the game. And I, I think the offense will honestly be fine. I think they have just they have to find a way to distribute the ball on offense. Like they do a good job at like like specifically you look past two weeks they did. Cordell Patterson had a monster game and Kyle Pitts had a monster game. If they can have like three good games from Pitts, Patterson, and Gage, for example. That is perfectly okay. Spread the ball around. Let everyone else get comfortable. And that way you don't you're not like force feeding and they're not doubling up on one guy. So I think that's a big key for the Falcons here if they want to get away to Miami. And I think they very well could. I think they have a good shot at it. I think I do think they will win this game. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. I think they have a really good shot here. At stealing one on the road and getting back into this, you know, back into the in the hunt graphic, you know, I think they get into the hunt here with this win, and I don't think they make the playoffs. Still, I don't think that's realistic at this time. But if they put together good wins like this against bad teams, then I'll be encouraged for the future for next year. But yeah, they need this one in Miami. I, I don't want to say it's a must win, but it is a must win. When I don't. I don't know what I'm talking about. It is a must-win game. They have to win a game like this against a bad team in order to stay afloat. Otherwise, they're just going to be in the 12th spot of the draft. They're going to be irrelevant, as they always have. But they can make a push here for the playoffs, especially with this little schedule coming up. So We'll see how they do. I think, I like I said, I think they win. I think Georgia looks really good. I think the football scene looks really fantastic for the future. I think things are looking upwards. You know, things are looking really good for all 
football teams right now in Atlanta. And I, like I said, I'm looking forward to seeing if Matt Ryan can keep this going, get Kyle Pitts involved. Feels good. So moving over to basketball, we have finally basketball talk. We can talk about the Hawks here. So the Hawks open night, um, opening night for the NBA is this tonight, Tuesday. Uh, we have Nets, Bucks, and Lakers, Warriors on TNT. Uh, I'm not super fascinated in those, in at least the West Coast game. But the East Coast one could be interesting because we'll see the Nets without Kyrie, and we'll see the defending champs, you know, get their banner raised after a great season for the Bucks. But the Hawks start opening night. I believe it's Thursday. They start at home on national TV. Who would have thought that would be a statement being said about this Atlanta Hawks team? But they've earned the right. They've played great basketball last season, made it to the Final Four. They earned it. They've earned every right to get national media recognition, and I think they finally will. I think this will be the year where people will be talking about the Atlanta Hawks as a threat. They are. Trey Young is too dangerous to be you know, slept on anymore. John Collins is a terrific player. Clint Capella is a defensive stalwart. And, you know, they have a, a bunch of great supporting pieces. Not good. Great. So that will be really exciting to watch. I, they play the Dallas Mavericks, which, you know, it's going, I guess we're going down this pathway where, you know, the rivalries haven't been as crisp as they have been in the past. I think you have Cavs-Warriors, which was really one-sided. Uh, I mean, I guess you have, you know, like, LeBron against Curry is – it's a lot of player matchups. You don't have a lot of team matchups. And I mean, we're, I think we're starting to get back to the team matchups where like Hawks Knicks is a thing now because of that playoff series last season. It just is, you know, the Knicks get all that recognition and Trey Young is a villain. So Hawks Knicks is going to be a rivalry and they're going to, they're going to make it a rivalry. The NBA is going to do that with their scheduling. Sixers Hawks is going to be another rivalry that the Hawks are in because I mean, let's, let's be honest. They ended the process. I mean, Ben Simmons is gone. Ben Simmons is halfway out the door because he just got kicked out of practice today for throwing a, like for not a temper tantrum. He just wanted to do the drills. So the process is, you know, they have to restart the process, whatever it is, because Ben Simmons doesn't want to do it anymore, which is genuinely hilarious in its own right. But yeah, so Hawks Sixers is a thing now. Knicks Hawks. And this is the player rivalry they're doing because, Trey Young and Luka Doncic were famously traded for each other, along with Cam Reddish, who came to the Hawks with that pick later. But they they were famously traded for each other, and Luke has been a superstar MVP candidate, and Trey Young is an awesome point guard, probably the best the the best point guard in the East, like point and blank, he is. So, you know, the guys that were traded for each other, they they love each other too. That's what's funny is they're friends, like they like each other, but. You know, they're making that a rivalry because, you know, I don't know. They have to sell somehow. So so that is what it is. So that's why we'll see the Hawks here. They play the Mavericks at home. That's what's also, also awesome is it's a home opening night game. It's not on the road in Dallas. It's here in Atlanta. Hopefully Atlanta. I think the thing about Atlanta sports is the attendance issue that everyone cites it's not an issue. It's just it's way more noticeable here because we are a bigger market and we should have better attendance. 
but we don't because some teams aren't winning. When the teams are winning, the fans are showing out. The Hawks, when they were winning last year in the playoffs, they showed out and made State Farm Arena rock. The fans showed out for the Braves this year. They were second in the attendance because they came off an NLCS, and they're a really fun team. The Falcons fans aren't showing up because they aren't winning games and the system is flawed for how they do tickets. So that's my thing is the, the, the fans will show out if the teams are winning. That is without a doubt 100% the truth. Now, you'll get the the whole verbiage of like Atlanta's a transit city, so they have a bunch of different fans. That is true. You'll get a bunch of fans from elsewhere. But eventually, if the teams are winning, those fans won't be able to get tickets because the Atlanta fans are getting those tickets. So that's something to remember here with all these teams. And I think the Hawks are that way where the Hawks are a team now. They are someone to be you know, reckoned with. And I think, you know, they've been talking about it. They want Atlanta to be somewhere where you're not just partying all night, you know, Magic City or something. They want you to come in here focused and trying to beat them. The Atlanta Hawks are a team to be reckoned with. They are a danger. And, you know, I think teams have to be prepared now. It's not the old joke that you can just go in and beat the Hawks with their no fans. No, this team is marketable. They are very fun to root for. You have Trey Young, John Collins, Bogdanovich, Hunter, Herder, Capella. I'm I'm listening. That's five names. That's not even counting anyone off the bench. You know, this team is really good now. They have a chance to compete for an NBA title. I think that's very apparent. Because I think they could have won it last year if they would have beat if they would have beaten the Bucks if Trey Young didn't get hurt. I think they would have won it last year. I truly do believe that they're playing hot basketball. I think, you know, they're being coached well, and they weren't. They didn't have anyone. They didn't have DeAndre Hunter. Bogdanovich was hurt. You know, he wasn't a hundred percent. Bogdanovich played like an all star at the last quarter of that season. So, Cam Reddish is coming back. You know, there's so many variables about last year that make this year so much more exciting. So things should be better for the Hawks. I expect them to be, I don't, I think they can be a, t- a top seed in the East, but I think the Bucks are kind of an, a regular season juggernaut. I, I think they're very hard to beat in the regular season. So I could see them, you know, stacking the one seed like normal, but I think the Hawks should vary. I think the Hawks have a good shot again, the top three seed. I really do. I mean, teams you have competing with are, you know, the Bucks Nets are probably going to be one and two. Honestly, they are. They they have the best players. It is what it is. But then there's a second tier where I think you have, I think this is where you have Atlanta. I think this is where Philadelphia is even without Ben Simmons because Joel Embiid's really good. The rest of the team is really good. So there's that. I think you have, I think the Heat are always there because, you know, I mean, they did just go to the finals two years ago themselves. And I think they added on, they added on a lot of players that are like good names and should provide a, another like they should provide a good ounce of i guess what you could say miami basketball heat culture whatever that is i don't know i don't know what it is people claim it's a thing but yeah so i think they are in that same tier still um i think i mean that's i honestly that's all the teams i can think of from the east because i don't there's not a lot of teams because then you got like the pacers I guess you could say the Celtics, but I don't think this. I'm not high on the Celtics. I don't think they got much better. I don't. I don't see that. I don't think the Knicks are 
a better team. They're the same team, and I think they played out of their minds last year. I don't think they're a good team. I think they're just an average team that can sneak into the playoffs. I think the Bulls Bulls improved a lot, but I don't think they're anything special. So, you know, I think the Hawks have a – they're in a prime position here to really snag a top seed here, get some home court advantages here for the playoffs. But that's like – it's months down the road. You never know what happens. You know, injuries – played this team last year they can do it again this year but that's just me talking way out in advance how the the outlook is for the season so we'll see we'll see how the team plays here on opening night i'm super excited for it i can't wait to see how they perform how trey young does you know trey young i'm if he's an mvp candidate i will be so happy i'm looking very much forward to that i'm more than excited to watch some Hawks basketball. And I haven't been able to say that in a couple of years now, and it feels good to say it now. So another little side note is, you know, they've done, they've done some good work keeping their guys. Trey Young's here locked up for five more years. John Collins is locked up for five more years. Clint Capella got extended for, you know, a couple more years as well. And they finally came to an agreement with Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter's been a... He's been like your example of a glue guy role player that has came in, done his job, showed the improvement, really has become a core piece to this team. You know, Kevin Herter was drafted with Trey Young. He was later in the first round, but they came in together and he was due up for a contract here, you know, at the end of this year. And Kevin Herter finds himself getting a deal, four years, 65 million. And I know that sounds like a lot. But in today's NBA, how the NBA market works, that is a steal. He gets a lot of money, life-changing money. The Hawks get a good deal and keep the core together. Really, it's a no-brainer for both sides. And so Kevin Herter, John Collins, Trey Young, the core of this team are locked in here. They're here to stay, and I couldn't be more happier for Kevin Herter. He was he was the hero in Game 7 last year. He single-handedly carried the Hawks' offense where – Trey Young couldn't shoot the ball worth anything, and no one else was scoring. But Kevin Herter was taking advantage of his mismatch on Seth Curry. He was ginormous for that team. You know, really a spark off the bench. I think that he was a fantastic you know, player during that whole series, and he really, he really brought it. And so, Kevin Herter, glad you're here to stay. I'm absolutely excited and thrilled for this team. And I think I think they can be they come into the game against the Mavericks as favorites, and I think that's fair. I don't think the Mavericks are. I think they're a playoff team, but they're kind of like how I was talking about earlier. I don't think they're a title contender. I think they're kind of on the outside looking in. They're like the third tier there in the um, the West. So I would guess the Hawks should win that game. So I'm excited to see how you know State Farm Arena will be looking and. Yeah, all that for the Hawks basketball. You know, we're finally here in basketball season, too. We're in that time of the year. October is a great time of the year. It's my birthday. Finally passed. You know, that was fantastic. The leaves are turning orange, and all the sports are in season. All of them. So you just absolutely love to see this time of year. It really is a great, great time. So that's all the main sports here in Atlanta we have covered like I said playoffs for the Braves football's moving along yeah we're almost we're 
a little bit. We're almost to halfway through for college, and we're about a third of the way through for NFL. So that's crazy. And then NBA starting out here soon. So, so we're here to wrap up the show. We're gonna do MMA minute. So, not a lot to review in the MMA world. There's some deals here for you know fights that are coming up. Um, actual fight night weekends haven't been anything special it's it's been some girl fights and i don't think they're honestly i don't think they're like contenders that are worth talking about that'll contend with thug rose uh zhang wei li you know uh valentina shevchenko in the other division and amanda nunez you know i don't think they're in that level so i don't think it's really advantageous to talk about them so i'll talk about some of the fights we have coming up so we have Corey sandhagen and Peter Piotr Jan um, fighting for an interim belt here on the next UFC card that'll be ending October. Um, we still have the light heavyweight for that card as well. Dan Hooker is going to be fighting on a short rest against Islam Makachev, a rising star in the lightweight division. Uh, we have um, Kamzat, who's been a rising star. He's fighting that card. You know that card's going to be fun to watch. I, um, I'm excited, looking forward to it. And then, uh, just a week later after that, we have Usman and Covington too for the, I believe it's welterweight title there. They, you know they'll they hate each other. So Colby Covington will be loud, proud, and he will he will be a blast to watch. He'll be talking all that mess. Uh, we got with the uh, Rose Thug Rose and um, Zhang Wei Li. They're fighting. They're also on that card. Uh, we get. Justin Gagey and Michael Chandler on that card. So, and then at the end of the year, we finally got confirmation on Dustin Poirier fighting Charles Oliveira for the light heavy or not light heavyweight for the lightweight title. That'll be a really exciting fight. Dustin Poirier has been he's had a fantastic year beating Conor McGregor twice, you know, shutting him up, and now he can finally go capture undisputed lightweight gold because he caught he got interim title a couple years back. But then lost it to Abib Nurmagomedov, who's probably the lightweight goat. And so he's looking to be the undisputed champ finally for once in his life. And I really hope he gets it. He's one of my favorite fighters, probably my favorite fighter. So he will fight Charles Dubronx Oliveira, who you know captured the title here over the summer. And he's worthy. I think he's way I think he's way more worthy contender or you know, I mean champion than the rest of the divisions give him credit for. But, you know, I guess disrespect comes to the champ. I don't know. So we also got Jorge Monsvidal fighting Leon Edwards on that card. Uh, Amanda Nunez is making her return on that card. You know, uh, it's, it's a lot of exciting fights getting made here, and I'm looking forward to all of them. You know, I'm sure we'll talk more in depth on them when they come up. But, you know, for now, we'll talk about this fight night coming up. It's finally kind of back to a good one we got paulo costa and marvin vittori the number like i believe number like oh four is it four and five it might be like four and five um, middleweight contenders they both are coming off title challenges where they lost to um israel adesanya so i guess you could say this is a like eliminator this is a title eliminator where one of these guys could get another shot at it if they win this fight, you know, another stepping stone to go try and chase gold. 
but for, they have to go through each other right now. And they, it's really interesting. Vittori's a big wrestler. Paulo Costa is a, a, just a big guy, big power guy. So I think it will be a fascinating fight. But if I had to take a guess, I think I might take Marvin Vittori. I really do. I don't know. I have just, it's a, it's one of those gut feelings where I think Paulo Costa should win, but I think he's coming off a tough, tough loss. And, from Israel Adesanya. I think he's got his pride hurt a little bit. I think Vittori hung in there a lot better. I think he, this could be one of the, honestly, this is a good name fight, but this could be a bad fight. Like, I could see Vittori just laying on him for a majority of that fight, but we'll see how it plays out. So, I like, I, like I said, I like Marvin Vittori here to win. I think he'll get the win here and move himself back into contention. You know, I don't know. I don't know. We still got to see how this division will play out because Israel Adesanya hasn't fought now and ever since Marvin Vittori. And that was a couple months ago. Like, it's been a little bit inactive in the division. They're not going to strip him or anything, like make an interim belt, but we're still waiting for the Whitaker and Adesanya fight to play out and how that'll work. So, but we'll see how that all goes. You know, we'll, we're looking forward to seeing a good week of fights, you know. Like I said, we'll come. I'll come back probably next week and preview 267 a little bit more, talk more about that. Where instead of just passing the names along, so that'll probably do it. You know, we've it's been a good episode to come back on. A lot of happy things to talk about here in Atlanta. You know, it's a lot of good sport sport things happening. You know, it's weird not having total pain and misery. Just we just have a little bit with how the Falcons are built, but. Other than that, you know, it's a great, great time to be a Atlanta sports fan. You have Georgia, who's title contender through and through, title favorites. The Braves are actually title favorites in their odds right now. You know, it's it's really great to see. So, hey, like I said, go Braves. Look for Freddie Freeman to bounce back. That will be, like I said, huge in closing out the Dodgers. So look for Charlie Morton to throw a gem. He gets a little extra rest here, so. I, th- I think the Braves managed to get this game, and I, I honestly, it might be, it might be Braves in, might be Braves in five, but I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna lock anything in stone, but be on the lookout for it. So until next week, goodbye and good luck to everyone. Thank you.